Welcome to The Rock's podcast for our midweek study through Galatians. False teachers were throwing believers into confusion by perverting the gospel. They taught that salvation depended on our own good works. So the Apostle Paul must remind them that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, and to stand firm in their freedom. Now let's join Pastor Ross in our verse-by-verse study through this most liberating letter. All right, good evening again. It's time to pick up where we left off. Galatians chapter 4 is where we're headed, right dab in the middle or toward the uh, end of the chapter. And we're looking forward to everything the Lord has for us tonight. Amen. Let's ask him for his help. Now, Father, God, we know that these truths are spiritually discerned. We can't understand them without your spirit. God, you're the only hope that we have. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit who resides in our hearts and who's here among us, Lord, would quiet our hearts and open up our minds and help us to hear the voice of the living God uh, to speak to where we're at tonight. And you're always so faithful to do that. We just commit ourselves to your care. In Christ's name, amen. We've all heard the expression, who's your daddy? <laughs> and uh, not really a question. It's sort of a rhetorical question of sorts. Uh, really, it's actually a taunt, right? It is really a boastful claim of dominance. That's when you pull that weapon out and you use it against those who you have defeated. Maybe it's sports. Uh, uh, Nathan Sutton, who happens to be here tonight, and also in my notes here, uh, we played tennis for many, many years, and whoever won had really several ways to tease the other one relentlessly, and so for, oh, I don't know, 15 years, uh, we had all kinds of ways to uh, let the other one know how happy we were to beat them. And so th- this expression uh, came in handy uh, on the rare occasions that I actually beat him. Um, but so in a totally different sense, in a totally different sacred uh, and uh, sanctified sense of uh, that question, Paul has in his uh, pleading with the Galatians, he's asked and he's answered this question, who's your daddy? We, uh, the, uh, the Christian converts at Galatia have been wanting to become more Jewish, and he's already told them, uh, because you believe in Christ, who's an ancestor, uh, according to his human nature, uh, to Jesus, uh, to Father Abraham, that you are linked as his spiritual descendant there. And so who's your dad? Who's your father? It's Father Abraham is the answer to that. Uh, They are wanting and they're feeling led to become more Jewish because the uh, Hebrew heretics, as I've been calling them, these uh, Jews from Jerusalem who have come in Jesus' name, uh, no less, Uh, saying to these Gentile converts, we are Jews, we're believers in Christ, Uh, we've put our faith in our Jewish Messiah, not really yours, but he came first for us, and then you guys need to follow our example by becoming uh, legitimate Jews, by being uh, circumcised and keeping a kosher uh, diet and obeying all of the holidays and all of really all of Judaism. Um, and so uh, these Galatians, as you'll recall, were uh, just all googly eyed about it. They were all uh, bewitched and all wanting to gobble it all down. And Paul was saying, um, Who has bewitched you? Why are you coming under the law again? You don't need to do that. And this is whole, all of Paul's point really has been. Who's your father? Your father is already Father Abraham, and Father Abraham didn't need to be circumcised. He was saved 
by faith and by grace before circumcision even was required. And he didn't keep the law because the law hadn't come, as you'll recall, for 430 years. And so we got that question down. Who is your father? He's father Abraham. And yet now there's another question. There's another question that might be just as important, if not more important, is who is your mother? Who is your mother? And so he's going to answer that question tonight. Let's take a look at that. We'll read through it, and then we'll come back and dissect it. All right? As always. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, they want to become Jewish, these Christians. Are you not aware of what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Yeah, sorry, I thought we were ahead of ourselves there. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. All right. You guys who want to become Jews, are are you even sure what the Old Testament says? Because it's written that Abraham had these two sons, one by a slave woman who was born in the natural way, Hagar, and the other one was was born from the free woman, Sarah, right? The result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. Now, verse 24b One covenant is from Mount Sinai, where they got the law, and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, which is modern-day Egypt, where Mount Sinai is, and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem, because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. There it is. Choose your mother. For it is written, be glad, this is Isaiah 54 and verse 1, be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. That's from Isaiah 54, 1, as I said. And then he concludes uh, the end of chapter 4 with this. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way, Hagar and Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit, Isaac. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. And that's a quote from Genesis chapter 21, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And he asks them, you know who your father is? Do you know who your mother is? Because it's very, very important. And so we're going to take a look at that tonight. Thank you for the slides. And we'll get caught up there. So, uh, yes, Abraham is your spiritual father. And now the identity of your mother, your mom, spiritually speaking, uh, is very important. And we're going to take a look at that. So the whole world has two options, really, two options alone. The whole world. The whole world is either born of Sarah or born of Hagar, the entire world. And so figuratively speaking, verse 24 uh, is going to point this out when we get there. Uh, is, is, is that Sarah is the mom who produced children of the promise, the promise to her and Abraham. It was a faith-based promise, and they believed God, and they became saved, and God kept his promise and did something miraculous. Hagar was just, as we're going to see, was going to be the result of the natural, ordinary way that children come into the world. And so uh, in that sense, she, uh, Hagar produces a son who is a slave, a slave under the law, 
a slave of sin. He cannot do anything other. He's not a child of the promise. So really, long story short, uh, this is about if you are born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. That the whole passage really is about uh, people who are born the natural way, flesh and blood, will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Flesh and blood cannot do it. That's Hagar through Ishmael, the natural way. But uh, Abraham and Sarah had a miraculous intervention of God, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he made new life come. And so that's really the point. They've got the new life already, these Galatian uh, formerly uh, pagan Gentile Christians, they, they have the life. But now these Hebrew heretics have come in and said, hey, what are you eating that for? You can't be saved and eat that. You can't be saved and go there. You can't be saved unless you do X, Y, and Z. And so uh, that didn't make any sense. And so this is where uh, we're going. So now he's going to, he's got this analogy of Hagar and Sarah, right? But unless you know what happened there, what I just read to you was pretty confusing, right? In fact, uh, this is one of the more difficult passages in the New Testament because it's so Jewish and it's so rabbinic. And, and, uh, so, and, and if you don't know Genesis 16 and Genesis 21, those two chapters, then you're totally lost. So what we're going to do is do a quick overview of how these two ladies met and why the Lord is contrasting their lives here. So let's get caught up to speed with a quick review. It was an intriguing drama for sure. Uh, that involved this, what we are calling the progenitor of the Jewish race, Father Abraham, and his wife, Sarah. So God made the promise to Abraham. He's married to Sarah, right? And in Genesis 12, he said, you are going to be the father of a multitude. And even though Abraham was 75, and Sarah was 65 at the time that the promise came. Now, the pro they weren't too uh, old to have children, back in those days, uh, but uh, Sarah was unable to, as most of you remember, and so uh, God made them the promise, and they believed God in spite of their age and her infertility, and uh, they got saved. In Genesis 13, God kept the promise going. He, he said, listen, uh, your descendants, though you can't have children, are going to outnumber uh, the dust of the earth and the stars of the heavens. And so God just kept promising. Ten years go by, and uh, now Abraham's 70, uh, uh, what is he now? He's probably uh, 85, and, and she's 75. And um, tick, 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 the clock is ticking. And so what was impossible 10 years before now is double impossible. And so Sarah just gets a little bit nervous and Sarah decides, aha, light goes on and she says, you know, let's do it man's way. Let's do it the tribal way. Let's do it uh, the way that we do it down here. Uh, when I can't produce you an heir, you don't have an heir and you keep talking about a promise, promise, promise. Maybe God meant to do it the world's way. And the world's way is this, that you take my servant girl, and she's in the room and everything, and you marry her, and with me in the room, uh, you help her to become pregnant. And that's exactly what happened. And so uh, they got married, and, and, and he, um, he, they, she got pregnant there. It's, it's just, you know, you're all staring at me like this is easy. Right? Yeah, why don't just one of you come up here for five seconds? Scaredy cats. So in Genesis 16 and verse 2, she says, Produce for me through my servant girl an heir. And she conceived and gave birth to a boy, and his name is Ishmael. So Sarah's the one who got the promise. Sarah decides that she's going to involve Hagar who is a slave, really, and then uh, she 
and Abraham produced Ishmael, who is born in slavery. He is not a child of the promise, okay? And so, and two wives plus one husband equals disaster. And, 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 and uh, uh, so what happened was, is Hagar hated Sarah, and Sarah despised Hagar. And, and Hagar, as soon as she became pregnant, the Bible says, the servant, as soon as she got pregnant, she started taunting Sarah. And, and she just belly up places like, you know, oh, I think I'm feeling a contraction, you know, and those kinds of things. Can you imagine, right? Sorry, I'm trying to entertain you too as well. <laughs> and uh, so Ishmael's born into a really terrible household with the two women fighting uh, like crazy. And then the funny twist is it is this, that uh, Sarah is absolutely flabbergasted at the chaos in the home, and she blames Abraham. And she says to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And now that she knows she's pregnant, she's despising me and mocking me. May the Lord judge between us. Well, if he did judge between you, uh, he might side with Abraham uh, because it was, in fact, your idea. Now, I know that that doesn't happen anymore in marriages today where, yeah, moving on. <laughs> what I meant was the wife having a bad idea and then suddenly it's the husband's problem. Okay, moving on. All right. Um, Ishmael is raised in this terrible, unhappy home, and which inevitably they have to separate uh, because you can't have law and grace under one roof. It's not going to work that way because they're going to represent law and grace. They're going to represent the old covenant and the new covenant. They're going to represent faith or good works. They, they represent the entire world, two approaches only to God. That's it. And so, uh, oh, I didn't finish the story. Fast forward 14 years. Uh, now Abraham is pushing 100. He's 99. You know the story. Sarah's 89. And Ishmael, uh, the son of the slave woman, Hagar's boy, is a freshman in high school. Uh, when the Lord appears to Abraham and says, hey, about the promise I made to you 25 years ago, uh, well, guess what? This time next year, uh, Sarah's going to be nursing a son of your own body and her own body, my way, not you guys' way, and uh, he shall be your heir, not the son of the slave woman, not born in the natural way, but you have to have God and the spirit of God intervene to bring life. And that is really a foreshadowing of, of being born again. This is what we're talking about, the gospel in the uh, early part of Genesis there. And so uh, he says next, next year she's going to be a mom. Uh, from her, she, uh, she will kings will come, uh, and nations will come from this woman, and ultimately the God man, the king of kings, will come through Sarah. Sarah's lying because the Lord was born of a woman, conceived of the Holy Spirit, a hundred percent God, born of a woman, a hundred percent man. The two came together as the God. Man, come down from heaven to save us from our sins. So in Genesis 17, Abraham laughs when he hears that. And, and the commentators say he kind of laughed with joy. Now, in, in Genesis 18, Sarah laughs, but she laughs kind of in derision. She or kind of just doesn't believe very well. I do you blame her, you know? And then the Lord said, hey, and by the way, why, why did you laugh? When I, is anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord is speaking. Is anything too hard for me? And she says to the Lord, I didn't laugh. And he says back to her, yes, you did. <laughs> Just like that. It's the strangest little conversation in the Old Testament, maybe in the Bible. I didn't laugh. And the Lord says, yeah, you did. 
<laughs> and then there's a new chapter. It's really unbelievable. You know, the Lord knows. You know, why tell him, no, I didn't, right? He, he just looks at you and goes, yeah, you did. Uh, okay, so but 12 months later, guess what? Isaac is born, and Isaac means laughter. And so there's a little play on words, and, and, and even Sarah's saying, God has given me laughter and joy, and everyone who hears will laugh with me with joy. Genesis 21 and verse 6. So done and done. There's, you're caught up to speed on Sarah giving birth in a miraculous way to Isaac, through whom the promise is given to the eternal line, right? And then you have the servant slave girl who gives birth in the natural way, no intervention from God, flesh and blood, the whole nine yards, and gives birth to Ishmael, which means God hears. So it was a hopeful name of optimism because uh, Sarah was praying a lot. Right, So she named him Ishmael. So we think done and done, but now Paul's going to say here in Galatians, closing out chapter 4, he says, do you guys, you guys know the Hagar and, and the Sarah story, right? And don't you know, don't you understand that? And so uh, let me sum it up to you, and then we'll dive in and pick it apart, all right? Here the, here's the chart, all right? Hagar's the slave woman. She has Ishmael, the natural way. This whole is the analogy. He says, let's talk about it figuratively, the Apostle Paul. He says, the analogy is man's effort, the old covenant, Judaism, earthly Jerusalem, where everybody's under the law and, and still holding Sabbath days and eating kosher, that whole thing. And it all represents Judaism. And then Sarah is the free woman. Isaac is her son who she conceived supernaturally. And, and, and that is why after the promise and they believe that God is going to bring supernatural life and they get saved and new life comes, that then he says the sign of that is to be circumcised. Because what he's saying to Abraham is, I bring the new life, I saved you by faith, and we've been down this road before, but he says, now put the mark accordingly that flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, that you have to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hence, the mark of God's intervention in human reproduction saying you can't get to heaven by just being born. You'll die in your sins that way. Something has to happen other than natural reproduction, and that's the whole deal with circumcision. And so to finish up there, uh, Sarah's going to represent the new covenant, grace, uh, salvation by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, the heavenly Jerusalem, which is really the city of God in heaven that comes down and, and the, the whole of Christianity. Now, with that in your brains, now we can walk through the analogy of Hagar and Sarah with the question, who's your mother? Okay? So here we go. We'll go back to the text now in verses uh, 21 through 24a. He says, tell me, you who are so uh, desirous of keeping the Sabbath and eating kosher. Do you even know what the Bible says? Now, when he says Torah there, the law, do you even know what the law says? He's using the word Torah. So the law can be the Ten Commandments or it can be just the Bible. So he's saying, do you even know what the Bible says? How about Hagar and Sarah? Let's talk about this. You want to go back to the days of Hagar? No, 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 no. So question you who want to be under the law, tell me, can't you see what Genesis was teaching? And so here's the historical context for the analogy that he's going to give. And he begins with a rhetorical question. Are you aware what the Torah teaches? And the rhetorical answer is, uh, no, you're not, because it's very clear. And so uh, the Pharisees were thinking, listen, and, and quite mistakenly so, that all you had to do was be blood-related in an Ancestry.com way to Father Abraham. And so the Jews told Jesus, really rebuked Jesus in John chapter 8, and said, we have Abraham for our father. 
So if we have Abraham for our father, and Genesis says, through Abraham, your descendants will be blessed, then we're good, according to the scriptures. The, the problem there was that they were leaving out the key ingredient, like yeast that causes bread to rise or gas that causes a car to go. They were leaving out that Abraham believed God, and, and he was saved by grace and through his faith. And so they're thinking that just because they are biologically related through DNA, that they're okay, and they were not. And so he says, so Abraham had two sons. The ordinary way there in your text, flesh and blood, and flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And in the supernatural way, the only way anybody's ever going to get to heaven is if God intervenes and makes someone born again. John 3, 3, you must be born again. And so this is where he's going with this analogy. And really, he's just saying these things may be taken, spiritually speaking, like a metaphor. They represent the old and the new covenants. So let's go on. All right, so the next point here is that uh, while with the historical context now in place, uh, Paul can begin making his point, and he's going to kind of uh, show the contrast between uh, these two women, two covenants, right? So the contrast begins here in your verses. You can follow me along. The old one is obsolete and unattractive, and he, he hopes these Galatian Christians don't want to go back words. The new one is wonderful. The New Testament is just awesome and filled with a lot of life in God's grace. So he says two approaches to God. Uh, the Old Testament is do this or die. The New Testament is trust Christ and live. And so the whole world was under check of the law and it was pointing to Christ and showing everybody their need for a savior. So in verses 24 and following, he starts talking about the old covenant, and he says, the first covenant from Mount Sinai, right? So he says, let me show you what we're talking about, Mount Sinai. He says, this, is, this represents Hagar. What happened at Mount Sinai, he says, is analogous to the person of Hagar, all right? So... They're in Egypt as slaves. They escape after the 10 plagues. They cross the Red Sea, which God parts. And then they come around down here. And uh, all bunch of things are happening. But when they get to number eight, they are in Egypt. Uh, or, uh, yeah, present day Egypt. I think Egypt owns that parcel of land. Uh, but they stop it at Mount Sinai. And God wants to talk to them and make an arrangement. And this is where we get the old covenant, old arrangement, old testament. It's all the same thing there. Uh, and then they go on, you know, but I, I wanted to just give you some bearings here. And so let me show you the modern day picture that, of Egypt there where you can go. They built a monastery there. You can ac actually go and visit and you can even climb up, I don't know how high you can go, but it's a real place that they pretty much have discovered. Uh, this looks like uh, the place for sure. And so now it was an unpleasant encounter, wasn't it? <laughs> it was Sinai was had covered smoke. It was dark. It, it was gloomy. Uh, there was earthquakes. There was uh, thunder and lightning. It, it was an unpleasant place, and they thought they could hear the voice of God. It sounded like trumpets. And they were saying to Moses, tell God not to say anything else or we're all going to die. And then uh, Moses himself said of that encounter, I'm so scared, I feel like I'm going to die. That's in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 9 and verse 19. You know, black smoke. It was a ministry of death. It was, it was God saying, I'm glad you're out of Egypt. I'm glad you're here. But if you want to come close to me, I need everybody in the whole world to know there's a problem. And it's not with me. It's with you guys. It's called sin. And it separates. So you can't come near the mountain. 
or you'll be stoned to death. And if one of your goats happens to cross the line, we'll kill that too. That's what he said. None of your livestock, none of you, you all stay back. And Moses was dipping things in blood and splattering it on the people. And it wasn't a fun encounter because the law was going to come down and say, you need to be holy. You need to be moral. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lust and commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. And so he was pointing all of those things out that estranged mankind from him. This is the law. And see, this is what he's trying to get to the Galatians who are so enamored. They want to light the menorah on Friday night because they're going to keep Shabbat and they're going to be pleasing to God and better than everybody else. So he says, I, do you guys know anything? I mean, let's look at Hagar represents the, the law. And, and let's go back to the giving of the law. It was unpleasant. It was a ministry of death. So listen up, you want to be Jews. He's saying Mount Sinai was a place uh, that was terrible. Everybody born in the natural way is, is in Ishmael. Everybody in the whole world. You're either an Isaac or an Ishmael in the whole world. It doesn't matter how many languages and people groups. You are either born of the, in the regular way and laboring under the law and trying to be good enough and hoping and crossing your fingers, or you've been reconciled by your faith in the promise of God and the Holy Spirit's come in and made you alive. And that's what he's saying. So he's saying Mount Sinai is for slaves, fear and powerlessness, uh, failure, guilt, and judgment. Do this or die. Don't do that or die, period. And so get some blood uh, sacrifices ready because you don't measure up. Somebody has to pay because you're breaking all the commandments. You deserve to die. They're capital offenses to sin against God. So bring in your sacrifice and put your sins on that blood as that animal and the blood will atone for you temporarily until the fullness of time when I myself will come down and be your lamb and you can put your sins on me but until that time we'll need your faith in me which was the only way anybody ever got saved and you're bringing an animal a sacrifice to pay for your sins. This is the law that you guys want to go back and light the menorah and sing your Jewish songs and think that you're saved by it because you really don't want to go back to that mountain. You really don't. So he says, believe it or not, verse 25, we can look at that. He says, this scary picture of Mount Sinai. Now catch this. He says, that corresponds to present-day Jerusalem. Oh, our beloved Jerusalem. He's calling uh, an Egyptian slave woman, bondage, fear, condemnation, smoke, gloom, doom, judgment. You come close, you die. Why does he say that corresponds to present day Jerusalem? Because they're under the law. They're under the law. So he says, uh, keeping the law is not a fun place to be. There's no life there, right? So the old covenant really was meant to be temporary. So he, he says in other places, the law itself tells us that the old covenant is going to be obsolete one day that a new covenant would come. The writer to the Hebrews, which I believe is the Apostle Paul, in chapter 8 says this, for if the first covenant, the Old Testament, if the Old Covenant had been perfect, there'd be, uh, there would have been no need to be looking for a second one. For God found fault with the covenant and the people. He says, behold, days are coming, says the Lord. This is Jeremiah 31. Uh, Hebrews 8 is quoting, says the Lord, a time is coming when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. All right? So a new covenant was on its way, one that would bring life. And he goes on to say, and this new covenant, 
isn't an outward do this or die. It's about a changed heart. That because Christ will die and our sins will be paid for, the Holy Spirit will be able to come in and make us new to where we desire to do what's right and we have the ability to do it. That's part of the new covenant. And what I do want you to catch about the new covenant is when he says, a new covenant I make with the house of Israel. We always think, oh, the new covenant and the Holy Spirit comes in and makes us all born-again Christians. Yes, you're right. But we're just edging ourselves in there by the grace of God. The, the new covenant is with Israel. And so after he's done with us, the church world, right, the Gentiles, it says in Romans chapter 11, when the fullness of the world, the Gentiles, when the last Christian says the, the sinner's prayer... He says she's going to take the church away, out of harm's way, and then begins a seven-year period that ends human history as we know it. And that is called the time of Jacob's trouble. So God starts dealing with them to bring them from the old covenant to the new covenant. And in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it says all of Israel gets saved. And they become, they enter the new covenant. They become born-again Christians as a nation, by and large. Not every last Jew, but by and large, the nation of Israel. Why? Because in Jeremiah 31, he says, I'm making a new covenant with the house of Israel. He doesn't even mention the church. But we just take it on like, yeah, that new covenant is us. Yes, we're included. But we got grafted in. The new covenant is for them. And yes, they've been on a 2,000-year timeout. It's a long timeout. But when the timeout is over and he's got every last Gentile believer as a part of the body of Christ, then we go away and then all hell breaks loose and we have Armageddon. And through Armageddon, Israel cries out finally. But it takes Armageddon to break their will. That's how stubborn we can be. Ask Barb. She's married to a Jew. It's all joy, isn't it, mostly? I thought so. Don't lie in church. All right, so he's saying, so, so our mother, right, the new covenant. Now, in verse 26 and following, but the Jerusalem that's above is free. So she is our mother. There it is. Who's your mother? The, the, the new Jerusalem, the city of God, the kingdom of God. And here's what he's going to relate. He's going to say, from the new Jerusalem, that's really heaven, where the king of kings is, that he comes down. And because the king from the new Jerusalem comes down and, and purchases our redemption, we are brought back to God and we are able to have the hope of eternal life. And that is the, the new Jerusalem in heaven that comes down. And so he says that, think of Sarah. So Isaac's mom is Sarah, right? She stands for the new Jerusalem, the, the, the spiritual one, the invisible one from which uh, came our king, as I just said. And so uh, what's interesting about the new Jerusalem coming down is in Revelation, John sees and says, hey, I saw the city coming down. But then in the same breath, he says, I saw the, the bride of Christ coming down from heaven. So which is it? And commentators say, that's us. We are the new Jerusalem. We come down as the people of God. Yes, there's a city, but there's a people and you, so, so he's just trying to show these Galatians, you really want to go back to the smoky mountain filled with fire and death threats? Or, or do you want to go, uh, you know, have heaven in your heart and be free by grace and have the new life that uh, redemption is all about? Now, he does do this thing in verse 27 where he quotes Isaiah 54.1. And let me just tell you really what he's saying. He's saying, really, I'll read it to you. Be glad, O barren woman, 
who bears no children, break forth and cry aloud. You have no labor pains because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has had a husband. Here's the point of this. Sarah spent 90 years barren. He's relating this to apply to uh, the new life in Christ. And so he's looking at Sarah and he's saying, Sarah, you know, you had 90 years of people having babies. Back in those days, they had 10 or 12 kids. And then those kids grew up and had grandkids. And her whole life, she had to watch everybody else get pregnant dozens of times and have dozens and dozens of grandchildren. And then he's saying, but the tables have turned, haven't they? They took one woman who believed God's promise, one man, and took one baby. And now she is the mother of every single Jewish person in the whole world, traces themselves back to her. Not only that, but more significantly, that she is the spiritual mother of everybody in heaven. Everybody who gets to heaven from that day will trace their spiritual ancestry to her. So he says, wow, he sees a verse in Isaiah 54 and verse 1, and he says, yeah, wow. Sarah, though she was totally barren for 90 years, wow, she has one kid by God, and now the tables are turned. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's finish up. All right, now you brothers are like Isaac. You're the children of promise. Right At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born of the power of the spirit. Let's talk about that. So time for a personal application, and we close out the chapter with this. Now he says, you're like Isaac, you guys. Your mother is Sarah. Your father is Abraham, uh, who got saved by faith. They believed God's promise, and new life came. And that's the new life that you have because you believed God in the same way that they did. And now he says, you've trusted in Christ. You have this new faith, new life, I should say. And, and he says, no, it's not easy, Galatian Christians. He says, hostility between the two camps from the get-go. So he says, okay, let's go back to the beginning where there was persecution. And he's going to go back there and he's going to say uh, that, Isaac was persecuted by his half-brother Ishmael. So if you go back to uh, Genesis 21, you will see that Ishmael was 17 years old. And little baby Isaac was three. And they had just weaned him. And in that culture, they'd have a big celebration and honor. He's now a big boy. At three years old, he's a big boy now. And that 17-year-old, who was prophesied to be a wild donkey of a man, was already raising his fist and opening his mouth and causing trouble. And so at the ceremony, he mocks the little toddler. And, and the word is strong. He probably, something very terrible he did. And Sarah had had it. And Sarah said, what's quoted here? Sarah says, get rid of her and that wild donkey of a teenager for the slave woman's son, not even saying her name there, Hagar's son, Ishmael, will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Okay, now Paul's kind of summing it up here. So, perfect timing. What is Sarah saying? He's 17. Guess what happens when Ishmael turns 18? He gets a part of the inheritance. And so he showed his true colors at 17, right before his 18th birthday. That was a dumb move. Dumb move. And so he gets Sarah upset. And Sarah says, according to God's will, because God had to tell Abraham three times, not through Ishmael. And he, Abraham is quoted in Genesis, is saying, oh, Lord, that Ishmael would live before you and be the one. He loved him. He liked him. He's his son. And three times God says, no, no, no. He's the natural born. I did a miracle life 
life-changing event. You're going to have to go with my work. And so he says to, God says to Abraham, listen to your wife. And the word is to come under, submit to her. So in Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. If you back up a 10, 10 verses or so, it says, husband, wives, submit to one another. I mean, the general rule is the husband's leading, right? But the, also, alongside of that, as we see with God telling Abraham, Abraham, you're, you're hung up on this Ishmael thing. I told you three times, it is through Isaac that your descendants will be blessed. The godly line is traced from Abraham, Isaac to Jacob, and you can see it in Matthew chapter 1 all the way to the God-man. That was an important line. And Sarah was inspired, yes, prompted by bad behavior of the boy. And it does sound like she's really kind of mean and impatient and not very nice. But guess what? It was behind God, the scenes God is working, and that's where he goes back to Genesis 21 and says, listen, at the end of the day, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free. So 4,000 languages or so, 193 countries, um, 10,000 people groups. At the end of the day, there are two kinds of people. Hagar and Ishmael, who are just born once the regular way, try to do their best, and I hope my best is good enough. I'll give you the shirt off my back kind of guy. Or those who say I'm a total wretched sinner and I trust in God for his promise and his grace. Two kinds of people. There are sheep and goats. There, there is saved and lost. There's wheat and the weeds. There's the good fish and the bad fish. Right? I, there are probably other ones. But God just sees it really simple. He, sees, he takes 7 billion people and he says, you, you guys have all your little people groups. I've got two ways of looking at people. Heaven or hell. Cain or Abel. Cain is the poster child for world religions. You know, you got to build your ladder and do this, and here's the work of my hands. Here it is. And his brother. And so what he's saying is from the very beginning, Cain killed his brother, and the half-brother Ishmael mocked and persecuted his half-brother. And so it's, it's this way. Those who live natural lives according to the flesh always are at odds with those born according to the spirit. The Ishmaels of all races, the Cains, who come and say, my work's good enough. I don't need a sacrifice. The Cains of this world, the Ishmaels of this world, will always have a hard time with those who are born, and, and it's in the text, born by the power of the spirit. That's us. And everybody who's not, who's really our half-brothers because we're brothers in the human family, they persecute. So he's saying to the Galatians, yeah, I know it's a hard time. Do you think it's going to be better because you're going to light the uh, Shabbat candles and go back to being a, a good Jew when you're a Gentile? Really? It, it's normative. Get used to it. That's the way it is. I got a great quote to close by according to this whole thing of persecution that we just take because we've got the life, they don't, and for whatever reason, that rubs them the wrong way. So the quote is, a life transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit is in itself an urgent call for repentance to those who witnessed the change, which is the unregenerate, which the unregenerate, I should say, see as a threat to their own beloved life of sin and autonomy. This is what this means. When somebody witnesses a miraculous change in somebody's life, when they sense, wow, something supernatural is going on there, you don't have to say a word. The change in itself, the countenance, the, the moral transformation is preaching to them there is a God, you know that, you need to repent. 
And so that is the reason the religious and the half-brothers and, and those who are striving to do it without God get upset because your life is a threat to them, a threat to their sin. I'm going to have to give up my sin. I'm going to have to repent. I can't be autonomous anymore. I'm going to have to have a Lord. If you're right and your life is saying what I think it's saying, then I need to, 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 to degrade that. I need to, to write it off. I need to be offended by it. I need to push it away. I need to kill it. I need to make it go away. And that's what Cain did. I can't have you reminding me all the time that I'm doing something wrong and evil and that God appeared to Cain and said, Cain, what's your problem? If you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. Sin is crouching at your door, man. It wants to master you, but you've got to master it. Do the right thing, Cain. And so he saw a little Mr. Right with God, his brother, coming down the way, doing the right thing, and it spoke to him. Abel didn't have to say, you're a sinner. You're doing it the wrong way. He just had to live his life by the Spirit. And Cain slaughtered him to ease his own conscience so he could do his own thing. So he says, people born of the Spirit, get used to it. The half-brothers out there, they're not happy about this. We think we walk into a room, I found the Lord. Everything should burst into applause. No, no, no. Not usually. Amen? So we got a question for you. Who's your mother? Who's your mother? Are you going back? Words to Hagar? Is your mother Hagar? You live in fear? I do this, I gotta do that. Where's your mother, Sarah? The new covenant, the new Jerusalem coming down. Jesus, the king, reigning and ruling in our hearts. That's our mother, amen? Father God, thank you for your love. We look to you now that you would seal these truths in our hearts. Lord, just kind of um, a lot of little details about the Old Testament and very Jewish illustration. We pray that you would speak to our hearts and show us what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.